This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all our listeners, supporters, and sponsors that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 60 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web from thousands in that category and it's ranked by traffic, social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit the website, itsarapwithrap.com, for all of the episodes and to order our logo merchandise, of which a portion of sales is donated to various charities and other information regarding the podcast. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Michelle Shakina. Michelle was married for many years and was a stay-at-home mom with two special needs children. In 2015, she realized that her husband was addicted to drugs. In this time, she had experienced financial, emotional, and sexual abuse from him, which turned into him sex trafficking her. Michelle spent many nights crying on the floor until one night she saved her life and ran for the door. Since then, she has been healing herself with therapy and other techniques. 
She has become a strong mom for her children in addition to being an advocate and mentor for other women and teens who have suffered any form of trauma and abuse. Her story is compelling, heartbreaking, yet full of hope and reconciliation. Welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, coming out, telling your story, mm -hmm. being vulnerable. Uh, mm -hmm. I am so sorry to hear about what you've experienced, but uh, I know you are here to talk about it and help others understand what some women endure and to help women out there going through this and not knowing how to navigate it and mm -hmm. to uh, enlighten all of us so that we may help a family member or friend when we are made aware of those going through it. Now, Michelle, tell us about your life before any of the negative issues arose. Well, my life was pretty great. Um, I was raised well and from a large family, a professional father in the medical field, mother who supported him. They are still married after 60 years and still together, thank God. Wow. Um, yeah, I, um, I have lots of siblings. I'm the youngest of them. And I was raised in a very traditional religious household. And it was something that I always wanted to have for myself going forward. That was my dream. At 22, I became a licensed healthcare professional and started working in that field. So my life was pretty set. Um, I was very independent at that age. At some point, I worked with my father in his field. And the next step, of course, is finding someone to be with. Um, in a lot of different cultures, that's what happens at certain ages. It's time to get her married. So that's where I was. And right. I actually met my ex's parents before I met him. Our parents were friends. And uh, when his mother found out that I was single, of course, she did the whole, I have a son for you. So he, he and I met, and this is, this, is before, this is before the internet and cell phones and all that. I'm, I'm showing my age a little bit, but we met over the phone. And then three days later, we went out and it was fine. And it looked like a fairy tale. And it, you know, he, he proposed to me uh, within two, two and a half months in front of a hundred people. Wow. And ladies, I will tell you, if that happens, run the other direction. <laughs> um, I say that that's a sacred moment that should happen alone. And then the celebration afterwards is fine. But there was so much pressure that I didn't even speak for a while. And the person who was conducting the service that we were at at the time, you know, was like, well, so I, of course, said yes. Then he wanted to rush into the getting, getting married and clinching, you know, cinching the deal. And I said, wait a second, let's not do that. But within a year and a half, you know, we got married and started a family, bought a house, started a business, all of that. And then it, it, it was a little normal for a while, but then my son had some issues and the business that we had that I was working with him in, I had to step back and, you know, become a stay-at-home mother. I, I stepped out of my own career to do that. And it seemed very normal for quite a while. Um, he did want to go out with other friends that didn't have children. Where I live, there's a lot of places that stay open very, very late or early, depending on how you look at that. And um, I was the oldest one. I was the only mother. And this is what he guided me towards. And I went along because he was my husband and I, I 
loved him and I thought that he would guide me in the right direction. So eventually that ended and we had another child a few years later. And again, it seemed very normal, very traditional household. We had holiday dinners. We were, I was active in the community, religious organizations, um, leadership uh, classes, things like that, that I was doing. He had a business with somebody else and I was in it for a little bit, but then I got kicked out and that's fine. Um, but then things started to kind of get iffy and I could see that he was coming home a little bit later or being a little bit more distant. And I noticed that I had to work more to keep his attention or that sort of thing. I saw him pulling away, you know, wanting to watch TV a little bit more than, you know, talking to me, but right. I was so entrenched in almost like chasing him and raising the two kids and the house and the community and all that I was doing. And I had a couple of businesses of my own, um, which he, you know, stopped at some point. And, you know, I didn't, I, I noticed what was going on, but again, no, you know, the internet was there, but it wasn't, there's was so no social media yet at this point. So there wasn't an awareness. Well, 17 years roughly into the marriage, things got really bad. I had lost somebody very close to me and it was unbelievably traumatic. And when I came home from that funeral that weekend away by myself, I said to him, I really wanted to live my life to its fullest. I wanted to enjoy life for myself. Uh, this was somebody who I was close with in age um, and she always celebrated life. And I said, I'm gonna live my life for both of us. And I didn't realize who I was saying that to because he was already involved in things behind my back in the form of going out drinking during lunch, going to you know exotic dance places, doing drugs that I didn't know about. Things were going on that I wasn't aware of. Um, and then, what happened was figuratively and literally, you know, he took my hand and he led me down this path that he was already on. And it happened very, very slowly. You know, there's a word that's used called escalation. And he was watching these things on a certain website and it escalated apparently. And he thought he could bring his fantasy and his reality into one. So there was a double life happening there that I wasn't aware of. Um, there really was a triple life because there were things happening with both sides of the coin of what his preferences were, if you understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's fine if somebody wants to do that. Absolutely. But there needs to be a discussion and an agreement and transparency. And there was none of that. So what happened was he very slowly would be like, let's go out to dinner. Let's go to a movie. Let's go to a bar and have drinks. Okay. And then go home. And then it was, let's go out to dinner let's go to a bar, let's go to this exotic dance place. And then it was, let's go here. And then let's, let's try some drugs that he apparently was using, selling all of that without my knowing. And I was, there was no way I could say no, no was not an option. Anytime I pushed back, there was emotional abuse or there was guilt or shame or, you're going to ruin the night and, you know, come on, don't you want to get closer? Um, you know, it, there was a lot of manipulation. And, yeah, you know, some, like that. Yeah, yeah. And this is somebody who's really, he's very successful in sales. And, you know, I always say that if somebody's good in sales in their business, they're going to be great at sales in any part of their life. And that's what happened. And 
So, you know, when somebody is near you and putting something, you know, in your face and it's just like here. And I, I couldn't, I really, I, as much as I tried, I couldn't back away from him. And then it was kind of like, he was so relentless. It was like, fine, I'll do it. And again, the guilt and the shame was enough for anyone. And it got to be the point where sometimes I just, I didn't know what was going on. And all of the things that he did, again, it was escalation. And then it was, well, let's go to this place. And he would, he would kind of exploit all of my childhood stuff that he knew, all of the the wounds that I had, everything. And there was a group of friends that were introduced and he told them all of that. So it was, it was like, oh, she wants attention or she wants to feel loved or she, and then it was boom, taking off my shirt, putting drugs. I mean, telling his friends they could do anything they want with me. And wow. at this point, in this point, he was controlling the situation. Everybody was drinking he would make sure everyone had something in, in their system. And, you know, I say it was like a whirlpool spinning. I was in the middle of it and I didn't know which way was up. And I thought that people that I was friends with, you know, we considered each other, we considered ourselves family. So the, the guys I thought were like my brothers and would protect me from him. And the the women, I thought I could share my challenges with them, but then didn't know that they had their own agenda too. And, you know, I came from, like I said, something very traditional and I walked into this, you know, cesspool of people who were friends for years, who this was their life. And, you know, I walked in with something like a homemade plate of cookies or a gift for the host or something like that. And they looked at me like I was crazy, but that's how I was raised. And it's like, well, it's not that kind of party. It's this kind of party. And, you know, he was the ringleader. He would make sure. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say these people that uh, <clears throat> that he surrounded you with that you're mm-hmm. describing were were all were these all new people in your life or were some yes. of them old people from a, a past? Mm-hmm. A past they were all they were all new. There was, there were, yeah, there were a few groups of people. They were different people for different things. He was very big on compartmentalizing people. Um, That and everybody has a a price. That was, that's his motto. So they were all new to me. Um, He knew, he knew a few of the guys from other people and they were all new to me and I didn't know anybody. My friends were part of you know, women's groups or religious groups. And that's who I connected with and who I hung out with. But at some point he said no more because they weren't as exciting. They were very boring. Boring And I was, it's boring to him. And, you know, I was doing fundraisers. I was having, you know, I'd have a hundred people in my house for a fundraiser. And then the next weekend he'd want to do this. And, you know, in the midst of all this, I'm still raising two children and myself pretty much because if, if we were out, he'd, you know, we'd be out until the sun was coming up and he'd go to sleep and sleep until the next afternoon or the next evening and want to do it all over again. Whereas, you know, I would have maybe two, three hours of sleep and then get up, you know, with the kids or before the kids make breakfast, do the laundry, you know, all of that kind of thing, you know, doing homework. And for both my kids, I had teams of doctors and 
teachers and tutors and advocates because of their issues. I mean, I'd fight the school board for their rights. I was advocating for other children in the midst of all of this. Well, you must have been completely exhausted from this. Exhausted. Well, that was a big thing, sleep deprivation. And as, as much as I could try and push back, there's a point where you put your hands up and you're like, I can't, I, I, I don't know what to do. And unfortunately, you know, my family was isolated from me. He talked so poorly about them that even I didn't want to be around them because I was completely brainwashed. And, you know, they have terms for it now. They've got red flags, they have gaslighting and narcissism and all of that. We didn't know from that back then. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. some of it was a few years ago, but, you know, there was no TikTok and whatever. This is, this is, you know, this went on for about six years. And, you know, the thing about it, I've said this before, is when you're dealing with an abuser, the reason why, uh, one of the reasons why people stay is because it's really confusing. Because, you know, if you fall in love with somebody and they seem perfect, they, you know, every box is checked. They look great on paper. Your families are together. His parents were at my house every weekend. I made brunch, that sort of thing. We were family, but, and they didn't know this side to him, of course, but it's confusing because you have this idea of what somebody is and you hope and pray that they're going to become that again. Well, somebody who's really smart will do that part-time. So I say it's four days on, three days off. Four so days. He, was like a, he was like a, a chameleon. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. In any group, any group. And, you know, it was, there was almost like a routine, you know, Friday, Saturday, it actually started Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was, you know, fun time. And maybe Friday he was good. And sometimes, you know, in the end towards, it was the opposite. He wasn't good, but, you know, Monday he'd be tired. So he was kind of nice. Like, let's have dinner. And he'd go on their bed to watch TV. He's like, come on, let's, honey, let's watch TV. So then I'd get three good days from him. Good days meant he came home. I had dinner on the table and then he went in the room and my children and I would do all the chores. And then, you know, he'd want to watch TV. And that was, you know, that was a good night because there wasn't pressure. There wasn't even abuse within our own bedroom, which was going on. Um, and it, he was he was kind until he wasn't. And then when we would go out, it was ignoring me or wanting to do things or tricking me or manipulating me. So again, I was just, I was confused with all of that. And the longer the year. Well, I was going to say, were you walking on eggshells? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That book is, I even, somebody actually gave that book to me, ironically at the end. I was. And, you know, he was so good because he would flip the script. He would say that he was walking on eggshells. He would say that he was doing this. And it was. And so, again, he he was portraying himself as the victim. Correct. Oh, and still does. And, you know, I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, is is he right? Is he is is what he's saying true? And, you know, anyone who says, am I the narcissist? Am I the one who's doing this? Am I am I being, you know, the abuser? That really means that you're not. Because if you're going to question yourself and your personality and your behavior, it usually means that you're not the one doing it. There might be some stuff there, but not to the extent that somebody's going to accuse you of. How did you discover your husband was addicted to drugs? And do you know what substances he, he was using? Well, yeah, it was everything that he made me take. It was, um, how did I find out he was addicted to drugs? Well, he always said he had an addictive personality. 
Uh And for many years, it was food or porn or attention or success. It was something like that. The drugs was, I, when I told him I really wanted to live our lives to its fullest, he brought that out. And I thought, okay, this is different. I had no experience with this. I didn't come from this. My parents never did drugs. I mean, you know, they were very young when they were married. My dad was very young when he was a professional. So I was really scared of it. And I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know how to do it. And it was cocaine. And where I live, it's everyone's doing it. And that was his thing. Everyone's doing it. And everyone in, in, you know, around us was. And I was really bad at it. And, you know, I would get sick easily. And, you know, I wasn't a drinker, even though he accused me and told everyone in my life that I was. It was that. And then I realized he was selling it when I was looking for something in the bathroom in underneath his sink. And I found what looked like a scale and, you know, there were like a hammer and some other things that were very odd. And, you know, this wasn't a guy that was fixing the house. So, right. uh, you know, so yeah. when I, when I found the scale in the bags, I was like, whoa, this is not, you know, and again, I'm a healthcare professional. I know what you know, I know pharmacology. And I knew this was a bigger problem that I had ever imagined. And I confronted him and he made very light of it. And I was like, you know, I said, what are you doing? You are the father of two children. And if somebody gets arrested, they're going to throw you under the bus. And even though things were already scary, that's when it got really, really scary for me. Because at that point, I knew that there were people he was quote unquote friends with that could really hurt my family, my children. You know, you get somebody mad or upset, you know, you see it in the movies and this is what I'm thinking. Cause again, I don't know from this. Right, and, right. and that's, that's been my fear for a very long, long time, even to this day where my children don't stay with him. My, my youngest just became an official adult and has decided to stay with me full time. And, you know, I said, don't go near that place um, where he's at. And because, you know, it takes one mad person, one upset person to really hurt you anyway. So that's how I found out. And then I realized that that was the case when my girlfriends or my friends who I thought were my friends started asking me, if my husband has anything to sell to them. And I had no idea there was a connection there. Or he would tell me, so-and-so reached out to me and wants me to drop this off or they're going to pick this up. And I was like, what is happening? How did my life go from doing fundraisers and events at my religious you know, organizations and my, my special needs organizations for the kids? How did it go from that to this? Yeah. And to yeah. be quite honest, I still ask myself because it was all without my knowing it was all, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, I've, I've seen his Venmo and it has been going on since way back when. You were and living then, a night, you, you were living a nightmare. Well, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know that there were special massages happening, which he admitted to in the end. I didn't know that. You know, he was doing that when he would go on his work, you know, his his work conferences in Vegas. I didn't know any of that was going on. I was very naive and and I trusted him. You know, this is somebody who 
I thought, you know, we, we had a religious wedding ceremony, which I had later found out that he was doing drugs at our wedding and was very hungover from doing it at our wedding. Oh, wow. Um, oh yeah. I found that out after I left. And well, I was thinking about my parents and I remember telling my father that, and you know, it's just, it's, it's so upsetting and it's amazing to me how, how big this, this can reach a family or a community, really something yeah. like this. And I stayed quiet because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody had an idea. And that's, you know, that's, that's my lesson to people that have anyone in their lives that where you see them change their behavior or they, like I started dressing differently because I had to, um, in order to make him happy, in order to be accepted into the group, accepted into some of these houses that I went to or the clubs that we went to, um, I had to dress a certain way. My, my look completely changed. The podcast is so happy and proud to have Blue Sky CBD as one of our sponsors and supporters. At Blue Sky CBD, they know that the highest quality CBD starts from the seed. Blue Sky partners with sustainable, responsible farms for superior hemp plants to extract their CBD and other healthful phytonutrients. Each of Blue Sky's products contain high concentrations of CBD for maximum impact, and Blue Sky offers some of the lowest cost per milligram CBD on the market. All Blue Skies products are THC-free and are tested by a third-party laboratory for potency and purity. All this has made Blue Sky one of the only brands trusted by healthcare professionals across the United States. As the demand for CBD and its therapeutic potential have grown rapidly worldwide, it's difficult to know which products you can trust. At Blue Sky CBD, they don't just sell their products, they use their products. Blue Sky CBD proudly shares testimonials of their loved ones who use these products. Blue Sky CBD guarantees the potency and purity of each and every product they sell. Blue Sky tests their products three times. First, the plant is tested, next the isolate, and last, the final product to ensure each product batch meets Blue Sky's high standards. A copy of the certificate of analysis is linked below each product description online. The Blue Sky CBD website contains client testimonials, including a case study for each testimonial from people just like you regarding people dealing with severe anxiety and insomnia, high blood pressure, pain management, headache, rheumatoid arthritis and spondylitis, and endocrine balance. Blue Sky even makes the product pet love for our canine and feline family members. There is some confusion between medical marijuana, CBDs that contain THC, and the THC-free hemp CBDs within states. Blue Sky CBD uses CBD derived from hemp that is THC-free, which is drug-free and can be sold everywhere legally. Blue Sky CBD wants you to feel confident with your purchase and offers you excellent customer service. If you are not satisfied with their products, you may request a refund of the full purchase price within 30 days of the product received date. When ordering, please use the podcast link to receive 20% off your initial purchase. The link and website information will be listed in the podcast notes. I'm back to square one or even less than the square one now, thankfully. And it's so much easier, but it's, you know, there was 
there was um, almost like an admittance. You had to be a certain way, talk a certain way, look a certain way and do certain things. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what he led. And I didn't realize it. You know, he had in his left pocket, he had the vials and the, the tin of, you know, various drugs. And then on the right pocket, he had me. So when we walked in somewhere that I thought we'd be enjoying or starting a night, a dinner night, that was a date night or going to a friend's house for dinner, I didn't realize that I was part of that menu or the part of that, you know, that entertainment. And, and I, I say I became like a circus animal for him. It's like, look what I could do to my wife. Look what I could make her do. Yeah. And when I started to push back, it was horrible. I mean, he really, really was abusive emotionally wouldn't talk to me for a couple of days and his drinking got worse. The drug use got worse. The holes in the wall came about. There were things that he did in, in the bedroom that were dangerous as far as like strangulation or, you know, a belt around my neck. And, you know, I, I didn't know that that was, well, it's not normal, but I didn't know that that was something that would happen obviously. And, you know, I would tell somebody and then he would tell them that, oh, I asked for it and I wanted it again. And, you know, who in their right mind would want to be strangled and wake up and having their spouse still on top of them, you know, yeah. coming yeah. out of being passed out. And it was really scary. I could have died in, in quite a few situations, you know, being put in back rooms with security where I couldn't get out. And, you know, there were men and he's like here and he's making sure everyone has enough drugs in them and then taking pictures and taking videos. He would set up photos of me looking like I was doing something with somebody, but I wasn't, or he would say, Hey, go in the bathroom and take a picture. And, you know, this was my husband asking for that. And I thought, okay, I'll give him a, you know, a sexy photo, but then now it's become blackmail. So it'll come out one day and that's fine because I was a wife who was so devoted that when we were in a crowd or even alone, he wouldn't come near me, wouldn't talk to me. Um, I'd sit in the corner of a restaurant or a bar and I w- he'd leave me by myself. Or uh. it was having, having a stranger talk to me or the bartender and giving them money and saying, watch my wife for me. And then he disappears for an hour in a men's room or wherever you know, he would go to. Yeah. And, you know, at first I thought it was chivalrous. Oh, he's having somebody look after me and what have you. And then uh, a new friend of mine, he said that too. And this gentleman was older and um, he was a little bit more sophisticated. And he, he even said, like, what did what did he just say to me? And I repeated what he said. You know, he wants you to kind of look after me. And he said, Michelle, you're in your 40s you don't, you're a pretty strong, independent woman. I don't think that that's something you need to do. You know, you're okay. And I said, what? That's kind of nice. He goes, no, that's really not a nice thing to say to somebody, not for you and not for me. It's just very inappropriate. And I was like, I was really, again, very naive. extremely, Because I had been with him for, you know, this point, almost 20 years, my entire adult life. So all I knew was from him. And because I didn't, I didn't have male friends. I didn't, you know, that wasn't something that I wanted. Um, when we had couple friends, um, he was friends with everybody. He was actually very good friends with my girlfriends, but yet I didn't let the guys come near me. They were like my brothers, like I said. 
um, yeah. in different groups. And I kept them at bay until he allowed them to not be, which was really, which was really, it was so, it's so sad for me now because these are people that I really trusted. I really thought of them as family and I was completely betrayed by what their intentions were. And, you know, forget the physical part of it, which was horrible. It, you know, that alone is, is really heart wrenching and that, that I've had to get over also. Oh yeah. The trauma must've been intense. Yeah. Yeah. And it still is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Michelle, yeah. Michelle, for our audience out there, mm -hmm. what signs should someone look for if they think a spouse is hiding, doing drugs? What should they look for? Erratic behavior, drastic changes, a change in appearance, a change in weight, a change in a hairstyle, the way they dress. Um, that's really a whole, like, what should you look for as far as changing? Um, definitely behavior and weight. Usually somebody who's on drugs doesn't eat as much or they'll want to drink more. Okay. Uh, their, their accountability. Do they show up when they say they're going to show up? Take a look at your finances. We had a joint checking account at one point. There were $600 that came out, you know, of an ATM or what have you, or the bank. And, and I, you know, where did this go to? Right. And, you know, at first he didn't, he's like, oh, just to pay bills. Well, everything was on auto pay. And so, you know, I confronted him and, and, and again, the lashing out was there. And that's, you know, that was again towards the end when I knew that things were really, really bad. Yeah, you knew and they that, were spiraling uh, yeah, down. Yeah. They were. They were spiraling down. Exactly. Right. Those are the things to look for. Michelle, how long were you in that abusive situation? And well, you kind of answered it, but you know, mm -hmm. people are probably going, Well, why did why did she stay in that situation? Mm -hmm. If you can just repeat that again. Sure. In that situation, it was five to six years. Um, and again, it started off very slowly. And it escalated to the extent where I really was scared for my life. I should have been scared beforehand. But again, this was somebody who I devoted my life to. Right. And I thought, okay, he's going through something. He's going to change. I could save him. We had these kids. I had no income. These are all the reasons why people don't leave their spouse. The shame of it. Where do I go? What do I do? My family, I was isolated from my family. My friends, I was ashamed to tell my real friends who would have taken me in probably in a second. I was afraid to tell my religious leaders. Um, I was afraid to tell anyone. I was afraid to even tell any of the groups about the other groups because nobody knew anybody. Would, would so you say that, would you say fear of getting hurt was a was a major factor? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, you know, I had since found trackers in my car. He told me he was having people follow me. There was medication going in me that I couldn't explain. You know, he had syringes of things because um, wow. he had doctor friends. Um, he had syringes of lotions and, you know, topical, not topical, a topical anesthetic that somebody would use if they were getting an injection in their face. You can put that on anywhere where there's pores and you'll become numb. So yeah. think about somebody using that. And why would someone have that? And where would they get that from? You know, he was giving me quote unquote B12 shots and he, you know, he'd be like, oh, you'll feel better. You'll wake up. He was having me to get hormones because I was reach reaching that age. And, 
you know, he was taking his own, which, which he still, which made him insane. So, you know, again, in the midst of all of this, I'm still trying to keep my life with my kids and their friends normal. So it really was a, a, a juxtaposition, both sides of the spectrum. But, you know, I was the mom where the kids were little, I had, I had star charts for them. And, you know, I made menus for their food. And, you know, so I was the room mom, I was the PTA president amongst everything. And, and I was really, I was almost waiting for him to stop. And then, you know, I've seen old emails and texts by chance I found them. And even my own behavior, I could see changed because everybody around me that he had me around really was off the deep end. They really were in the sense that they were over caring and over loving and, and how they were talking to me and, and just, again, the whole brainwashing thing, it was like from a group or more, more than one group. And so I was caught up in, in that whirlpool of what's normal. And the only thing that was normal was being in my house, raising my children, getting them to school, doing the laundry, getting their homework, doing all of that. So it's hard to leave a situation in that. And then I had no money. No, I had credit cards in my name that I found out later that he had opened, you know, things like that. But I had, I had nothing. I had no way to go stay at a hotel. You know, I have pets. I don't want to leave the pets. These are all reasons why people don't leave, believe it or not. Sure, they're trapped. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's just amazing how you balanced being a mother and all the things that you endured. It's just, it's just nothing amazing. Was, yeah, well, nothing was going to stop me with that. And even still, I mean, honestly, even after I left, the emotional abuse, the financial abuse is still happening. And I made it, and he told my kids stories that, that most, like I couldn't even fathom. And my daughter was 13 at the time. And he's telling her these things that are so unbelievably inappropriate and incorrect. And even she questioned him. Like, how could she be running off with this person and doing this if she was volunteering at my school all the time? You know? He was and lying, he, yeah. He's oh, trying to, absolutely. He was trying to brainwash them. He, 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 he did. He did a little bit with my son and I had to work on that, but he did. And, you know, my youngest, she's, she's a tough cookie and she just confronts him and basically said, that's incorrect. And my, my other one, you know, but again, I always showed up. So even after I left, I showed up every day in the yeah. dark to wake up my child. I would go back to the house, wake her up for school, get her dressed, make her lunch at the safe house, bring it. I take her, she and her friend to school. I pick her up from school you know, give her her snack, let's do homework, because he was wherever he was, whether he's at work or somebody's house, I don't know. And then I would make dinner. And if he was coming home, I would leave. And, and if not, I would tell him to stay out. And I would sit and have dinner with my kids. Then I knew he was coming home and I would leave. Because I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to be near him. I was afraid to touch anything at that point. You know, everything was a danger. Because at the end, we, he and I would be going out. I'd have a couple of sips of a drink that he would get or his friend would get from the bar. And I'd wake up in someone's house. I'd wake up on the bathroom floor. I would have a couple of sips of a drink or one cocktail and I'd have to go to the ladies room and then I couldn't hold myself up. And that doesn't yeah. make sense. They were drugging and course, They were yeah, drugging and of, Right. Yeah. And of course there were, there's pictures and videos and, you know, he would say, hey, talk, he'd talk to the phone, talk to the video. And he would record me, oh you know. God. 
And oh yeah, he'd have me call him by other names in our bedroom, which I just can't even, and, and record me. So it, it looks like, and appears like I'm with somebody else. Michelle, and, I was just going to yeah. say at any time, did you lose hope or faith? Oh, absolutely. You did? Yeah. I mean, hope and hope and faith is something that it, it, it can come and go. I'm very tied into my religion. Ironically, when I left those days that I, well, every day that I dropped my daughter off at school, I would leave and go to my religious institution and I'd pray every morning. And I, I got a lot of really great support. And of course, I was on the board of, of this place um, for many years and volunteered and, and I put on events and all of that. And he had reached out and called everybody and even admitted to it and telling them that I was an addict and that I cheated on him and I had all this life. You know, I showed up every day and prayed and I was surrounded by people. At first they were like, they were, and I knew something was going on because the president of this organization wrapped his, he's like, you belong here. This is where you belong. You know, you're safe here. And, and I was like, why are you acting like this? And then I figured that he had made all those phone calls. Yeah. But, you know, um, doing that and going there every day and praying and being a part of that community really gave me hope and faith. And because that's my roots. You know, I grew up going with my parents and my family and being religious. And and that always I always draw back to a source, whether it be, you know, God, the universe, any of that. Um, and my kids. You know, my kids gave me hope. Um, it was my daughter that really taught me how to use my voice again. <clears throat> when we were in the car and he was yelling at me and she's in the back seat and he's yelling at her. He, I mean, she's yelling at him to stop yelling at me. I mean, you know. Yeah. That's when I knew it was time to go. What yeah. was your What was your exit strategy? Because eventually you must have had an exit strategy. <laughs> well, so I kind of laugh about this because <clears throat> like most women, excuse me, you know, we have enough clothes in our car and shoes in our car to live out of our cars for a week or so. And I did. But what happened was I, I, I went somewhere and I woke up. I didn't know where I was the next day and my car had been moved. And I knew this is it. I can't go back to that house. I can't be near him. So I had somebody drop me off at a safe house and it belonged to a friend and I, I eventually got my daughter there for a couple of days, but she really fought me and she wanted to go back to her stuff and her bed. And, you know, that's how the kids are. My son didn't right. want to leave his video games, you know, that sort of thing. And I knew that the kids were safe. It was me. That was the problem. Okay. It was me that he wanted to hurt, not them. Although he hurt them in, by means of, you know, he would get drunk and my son and I would have to go find him and pick him up or he would say things to me inappropriately in front of my daughter. So that wasn't good. Excuse me. So my, my exit strategy was I went to the safe house and <clears throat> excuse me. I just, I told everybody, I told everybody what was going on. I had lost a lot of weight in a few months and I didn't know why um, we're talking like 20 pounds in three months and I eat really healthy, but that was a lot. And so they saw that and I was a, I was panicked and 
I, I was at this house for a few days and my body started having like mini convulsions. Like I was definitely detoxing from something and I couldn't identify with it. And, um, before this, I was living in a room, not my bedroom on a twin mattress on the floor. So I hadn't had any, any communication with him really. And I hadn't had any contact with him physically. So I knew by myself, my body should have been clean. But when I went to this house, something was going on. My body was detoxing from something. And, you know, sadly, I was afraid to go to the hospital because I was afraid that they wouldn't let me near my child if they found something in me. So I kind of healed myself with all of that and, you know, eventually ended up getting tested for everything you can imagine. So I stayed there for about a month, a month and a half. But my goal was always to find myself a job and work somewhere outside of the home for the first time in almost 20 years in my license because I kept my license current as a healthcare worker. Yeah. And to get a home where, you know, my child, my children can come to that was ours and it was safe and it didn't include any men except for my son. And, you know, that was my goal. And within a month and a half, I did that. And I haven't stopped since. And, you know, let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that rare patient voice, a supporter of the podcast, is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family, and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured, your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes. I just, I made sure that I was as financially independent as I could be and stable as I could be. And that took a while because as you can imagine, the fear and the trauma and the panic um, was there. I had gone to Women in Distress which is an incredible organization. They do accept men. Kids in Distress is a great place also. Um, I've been, and actually it was there that the woman who did my intake told me that I was in a domestic violence situation and that I was being being trafficked because that's how unaware of that behavior being labeled as that, that I was. It's, it's not even, it's like, well, he didn't punch me in the face. He did other things to me, 
he did the last time we were together, slap my face a few times and hurt, you know, something on the inside of me again. And so there's that. But, you know, we see domestic violence as what we think is, you know, bruises on the body and the face. Well, I did have bruises on my body and I did have, you know, some parts of my body that are not natural ruptured on purpose. So I have that issue. But and he would say that to me. I didn't abuse you because I didn't hit you. But yeah, but what about all the mental abuse? Exactly. Exactly. And when you strangle someone to the point where they pass out on purpose yeah. and you wake up and, you know, they're still penetrating you, that's rape. Yeah. If, if you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? Run. <laughs> um, run a lot sooner, right? Yeah, run a lot sooner. I would take my kids and run. But again, the behavior didn't show up for a very long time. I mean, when you look at the pictures, we were like the couple that everybody wanted to, to be like, who wanted to emulate. I mean, his friends would say, can you clone your wife? Because I loved being a wife. I loved doing all of that. And I was raised that way. And the difference is, and I say this all the time, is I would listen to my instincts. And I wouldn't get lost in people who were too nice too soon because we know the term love bombing now with a romantic partner but that also happens with people that pretend they're your friends right and then they they they, you know like for me it was like well we're an exclusive club and we're letting you into our group and you know make sure you make your own cocktails ladies you know or cover them or something to that effect and it's really scary now it I really guess, is. I guess everybody listening to this is kind of wondering, does this end in divorce? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It ended up in a in a, a legal divorce, a secular divorce as well as a religious one, because to me, the spiritual connection, he didn't deserve that. Because when you agree, you agree to protect someone and provide and love um, and you do the opposite you don't deserve to be any in any way connected to them at all. Right. And so that meant even more to me than the other. And, you know, I got divorced over zoom during COVID because I left right before COVID, uh, okay. which was a whole nother thing. And then I entered that my, my field of work, my healthcare field during COVID after not working for 20 years wow. and, and him, sending me emails and, you know, malicious, you know, things and threatening custody. And I mean, it was a whirlwind of, of anxiety, which, you know, I've been in special programs for trauma and domestic violence, you know, different organizations. Um, There's a lot of support out there. There's a lot of money to support people that need it. Um, The shelters, there's food banks. I mean, I was one of those people that donated my time and money and objects and things like that clothes to food banks. And then I was the one getting them. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Never know. And the people, you know, the donators on the wall are my friends or my colleagues. And, you know, I always said, of course, you know, that's something that's going to shift because even if I had $5 left to my name, I would give two or three to somebody else. Because I know at some point, even though I left with nothing, 
at this point in my life, I had skills and I had a license and I knew that no matter what, and this is my father talking to me in my head right now, that I had these skills and those will never go away. Yeah. And because I was, and I say, say this to a lot of stay at home moms, you know, it's like, they think that they're, oh, I'm just a mom. Well, take out the word just, and all of the skills that you learn as a parent who runs a household, especially with any sort of kids or a spouse that either has issues or, you know, another one, you're the primary caretaker, you really walk away with something that you can use in the real world where you could actually get a job to make money if need be. So don't think that you don't have that. And some of these organizations really coach people in that, which is great. Michelle, what's the number one piece of advice that you would give this to a woman that is being abused right now? Listen to your instincts. Don't, don't justify it. Don't reach out to me. I'll get you out. Don't, don't wait. Don't let your kids see that, you know? And even if you're, you're, you really struggle for a while, it's going to make you stronger and it'll show your kids that, um, that no matter what happens, you know, and I always say that, you know, I come from a long line of very strong women and all of our ancestors, no matter who you are, fought battles and things that you and I would have no idea about. Right. Um, thankfully. And that's within us. That's running through our blood, that energy, that strength, that resiliency, that hope, like you asked, that faith. And we have that. And our kids or nieces or nephews or anyone, will, they'll see that and let them see you struggle. You know, my daughter knows I'm, I'm working and I'm paying all the bills, but you know, I'm, I'm not getting as much as he is. So we have to struggle a little bit in this house, but we're not going to give up. We're going to adjust some things, but we're not going to give up. That's what this podcast is all about. Giving hope and exactly. telling, telling people not Absolutely. to give up. And we, we stress give. that all the time. Mm -mm. Michelle, what yeah. kinds of therapy and other techniques have you used to heal yourself? I've used everything from traditional therapy, from being on medication, because there's definitely um, an imbalance, especially when I left, um, especially with what also was put into my body. You know, my nervous system, I say my nervous system is shot. We're adjusting it back. But because of all the abuse that I went through, including all of the medications that I was given or the drugs that I was given, I should say, you know, um, I have such a heightened sense of fight or flight and i'm i'm learning different techniques so i've done biofeedback i've done emdr i've done reiki yoga meditation guided meditation prayer chanting which is a really fabulous thing uh, i i preach that tina turner has great videos on youtube when she became a buddhist and she left her abusive relationship that she started to learn how to chant and she does it and it's online, it's beautiful. And of course, you know, she gave grace to all of that. And so I've, I've done everything with the left brain and the right brain. <clears throat> During COVID, I started writing and I always, and I'm very old fashioned, I like pen to paper. I have journals and, you know, all of these different things that's, it's, and it's really, it's just a cathartic thing to do. It's very therapeutic talking about this is therapy absolutely 
and switching the narrative, meaning, you know, nothing has a meaning except for the one that you give it to. So yes, I'm, I'm a victim and a survivor, but I'm also uh, somebody who thrived in it. I'm a healer. Um, I'm a mentor. I'm an advocate and I'm a writer and a coach and anything else that is on the other side of that healing rainbow because I survived for a reason. There are so many times that I could have died. Yeah, I mean, somebody, absolutely. Somebody, somebody puts a belt around your neck and you know pulls backwards and you have no control. I mean, it would have taken like, he could have snapped it. You know, I'm not, I'm a thin person and that could have happened in two seconds. And, you know, I could tell you so many of those instances. And at first, you know, I went, why me? Why me? I mean, I was reading my journals earlier and listening to your podcast, trying to figure out like, you know, I, I would say, why did this happen? Why did he do this? He was supposed to love me. You know, my husband, you know, everything was my this, my that, because yeah. I loved him that much, you know. Um, but then I realized, and I felt so alone at those times. And then, you know, why God, why did you, why did you, you know, have me in those situations where I couldn't get out? And then I had watched the um, Jeffrey Epstein show on Netflix because one of my therapists had said, this is a situation almost that you had. And the next day I had a panic attack and I started thinking about it and I was breathing and trying to do everything, but it was so heavy because I real, I put all of the pieces together and I called my entire support system. And I recommend for you to have a list, a list of support people that you can call any time of the day. And it could be somebody for this, somebody for that, somebody for this. So I called eight people, nobody answered, not one. And that's rare. So yeah. eventually, after 45 minutes, I, I dropped and I got down on the floor. And I have a yoga mat by my window. And I looked up, sun's coming through. And it was back into the why, why, why. And I finally stopped the crying and the panic. And I got really still and quiet. And it almost felt like I was on drugs. It was that quiet, like the numb feeling. If you've had any sort of you know, it's for people when they have seizures or you come out of being passed out, it's a numb feeling. So, I, but I was open to getting an answer at this point because I couldn't think anymore. You know, those OCD ruminating thoughts, there was nothing, it was empty. And I immediately got, I was there with you the whole time. You survived. And you survived to tell my story, your story. And you survived to, to say that you were not alone in that situation and people aren't alone. Right. And, and I just want to, I just want to leave you with this thought. You kept saying, why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. And we, we've been through this with other guests mm -hmm. of course. And, I, and I always tell them, don't ask that. Ask, why is this happening for me? Absolutely. Well, and you may not know why it's happening for you at the time, Yeah, but yeah, you'll figure right. it out in the, in, I didn't in even, the end. Right. Right. I didn't even think about that actually until after I left. Um, because I was so in that cyclone of trying yeah. to keep it all together. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I, I and then it was like, I, it wasn't even why, it was what happened. Like, what, it, it's like, you know, when you're in an accident and you look at the car and you're like, how did that happen? 
And that's where I was more like, where did my life go wrong? Like, how did I get from this to this? And that was the answer that I got was, you know, you survived something and many years that most people wouldn't survive. Right. You know, the, the women in my life, they've all said, I wouldn't have been able to survive any of that. Not at all. If I had, if I was there one more week, I would have not be here well, talking to you. That, that was your purpose. You found so your my purpose. Pur right. So my purpose is to help others. Exactly. Gone through that. And exactly. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I've always been a healer and helping people since I was a little kid, people and animals, kids, but now it's a whole different level. Yeah. And, and, and thank God you know, you're I, out there. Thank God you're out there to help people. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And, and that's my goal. It's my mission. You know, I can identify with the child to some extent. It's very different, but um, he played on all my childhood wounds and I was really naive. And in that scenario, it's almost like you're dealing with a, a young person and not an adult. The adult, in me, the adult in me was the mother. And in this situation, it wasn't. It was the the girl that got bullied, the girl that was the ugly duckling. It was, and he would tell people that it was the girl that, you know, <clears throat> walked around in shame or, you know, her parents might've not been there. And that's what, again, that's what people prey on. You know, those yeah. abusers, those kidnappers, those traffickers, that's what they prey on. And it's like, here, I'll love you. I'll pay attention to you. I'll do this. You do this for me, or you, you take this and you're going to feel so much better. And then, you know, then it's, it's like an attack on you. And so I can identify with that teenager. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing. And that's my goal is to just move forward with this. Excellent. And my, yeah. And my children want to be involved in it too. Oh, that's you even know? better. That's, that's yeah, great. I mean, because they've also, they've survived their own side of it. And, you know, I told you earlier, they've had their own issues and their own you know, quote unquote, special needs, their abilities, not their disabilities, their abilities. And they've come out the other side, <clears throat> excuse me, they've come out the other side as well. <clears throat> and, you know, we've talked about speaking together and going through all of this as a family, because, you know, that generation, the younger generations, they yeah. got it going on. They're, they're more aware than you and I even, even know. Of course, they make fun of me all the time that I'm a dinosaur at this point, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, hopefully they'll they'll uh, take their lead and help others their age, and yeah, uh, and and that right. and that's and a good thing. Yeah, and they're doing it. You know, my yeah. youngest is already fighting for women's rights and and you know rights of her, some of her peers. She's fighting for, and the state that I live in has gotten a little crazy now. So. So those kids are using their voices and she's definitely doing it. And my son is very empathetic and I've taught him how to be empathetic to, um, to women, to his friends that are going through, you know, their bad moments and, you know, he's, he listens and he helps them through it and he's kind and he doesn't want anything from them. He's just very kind, like a listening ear. Right. And I, I, he, he, well, I always tell people out there listening to this, don't judge people you don't know what they're going through absolutely you just have no idea i mean nobody no knew idea what was going no idea nobody does even still in no. my profession my professional life or when i meet people uh, nobody does i mean i sat in the movie listening to sounds of freedom i said just movie. saw it today phenomenal isn't it well i can yeah. identify i can identify i had about three panic attacks during the movie 
but I can identify with that. The girl, the little girl before and after, you know, I, again, I, I told, I look completely different. My behavior is completely different, but I sat there and afterwards when they show the message at the end, yeah. I thought to myself, these people are crying. And I mean, we were all bawling. We were all talking about it. Um, They were all talking about it. And I sat there in silence thinking, these people have no idea that that's me, that that was me, that I went through that, that, that there was, I was an unwilling participant in people, men, women coming after me and somebody giving me up and somebody giving me away. And I had no way to get away from a situation and, you know, they did it for their own pleasure and their own thrill of it. And I survived that. Yes, you and did. You are a survivor and you're an overcomer. Yeah. You've overcome. I'm an overcomer and you an overachiever. An overcomer. <laughs> I'm a, I've always been an overachiever, <laughs> right. you know, and thankfully, thankfully. And again, you know, it's like you're, you're, we were talking about the podcast that I listened to recently of yours and it was a woman with a similar story. And, you know, we all have this strength within us and it's all of those ancestors, those 4,000 and so people that, that both came before us, that created us, right? Right, right. All of those people, we have their strength inside of us. And I'll tell you what, that's power. And, and it separates, uh, and, and that good and that power and that strength separates us and is able to fight the evil in other people. Absolutely. And, and remember that. So I have pictures of all the women that came before me around my house and, you know, in my, especially on my kitchen cabinets. So when I'm cooking a holiday dinners and I'm making food for the family, I talk to them and I'll tell you, it's really great to connect with those that came before because they have stories and resiliency and they fought for their lives. Yep. Courageous and people. Really. And so that's who we are. We're made up of that. So there is hope and faith. Absolutely. And, and when, th- if things get bad, even for a moment, I look at that and I'm like, okay, I hear you talking, you know, and um, it's good stuff. Michelle, how can people contact you? Uh, my website is the best way. It's from the floor to the door.com. You okay. have to put the .com and that's my website. There's a blog on there with pieces that I've written that are coming out in my books. It's, they can contact me, they can, and it'll, you know, they can email me any time of the day because I'm up at all hours. If they want to talk, if they want to coach, if we want to do a program, something similar that I went through. Um, and I, I cater that to every person, of course, I individualize their treatment plan. And I have other people that I work with that have gone through different situations and have come out the other side. So depending on your situation of what you went through and what your needs are and what you want to accomplish and what you want your life to look like, we can figure that out together too. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I just want to let everybody know who's listening to the podcast, wherever you are. That information will be in the podcast notes. I want to thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing your story and giving us all the insight into this issue. Uh, It takes a lot of courage to come forward and and make yourself vulnerable to help others. I know I speak for everyone listening and wishing you good fortune, good health going forward. Comments and suggestions uh, for for the podcast, you can email 
email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com our facebook group is it's a wrap with rap we're at we're on twitter at rapper w-r-a-p-p-e-r 130 instagram it's a wrap with rap podcast the website is it's a wrap with rap.com <laughs> all the episodes are on there there's other information logo merchandise uh and half of half of the sales uh will go to a charity each month we'll have a different charity all the podcasts are on YouTube. It's a wrap with Wrap the Podcast Uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. Everyone, please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>